Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. As a guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days in the field. This show is about translating my hard-won experiences into tips and tactics that'll get you closer to your ultimate goal, success in the field. I'm Remy Warren. This is Cutting the Distance. Welcome back, everyone. We are jumping into part two of the glassing spectacular. I just, I dubbed it that, and so that's what it's going to be. Probably not on the label, but it will be in your minds. Now, last week we talked about understanding size, reference, and shape. This week, as promised, we're going to talk about changing those search parameters to color and adjusting your varying view looking for movement. By combining that in with the other two items we talked about last week, you for sure will be able to spot more animals faster and train yourself to have a sharper eye through having a sharper mind. But before we do that, let's head way north to the island of Kodiak and search for black-tailed deer. Right now I'm actually sitting in my little cabin. It's raining outside. I'm hoping to go out and hunt some deer this afternoon, but I need to record a few podcasts and I'm, I'm thinking about well, we talked about last week glassing and I was just trying to, you know, kind of rack my brain of some, some good hunting stories. And then I look over and I see my brother's Sitka blacktail deer mounted here on the cabin wall. And I'm like, that was an amazing spot. And so this story takes place on Kodiak, Alaska. And it was in early October, which if you're familiar with blacktail deer hunting, that's not the best time to hunt. It's pre-rut post uh, alpine like bucks out in the summer range it's just kind of a an interesting time where 
Well, actually, for many deer species, that October timeframe can be really difficult because the bucks break off. They're by themselves. They're just in these thickets kind of preparing for the rut, saving up conserving energy, and they can be very little movement, very hard to find. This week was definitely that. We had trouble just turning up any deer. Not only that, but it was just kind of an off year for Kodiak where it experienced a little bit of a die-off and there wasn't a lot of deer around, but you know, you, you had a good opportunity at maybe finding a good buck. This was Jason's first blacktail hunt and we're out there and we're just like, it's like the last day of our hunt and he hasn't got a buck yet. Uh, I shot a buck, a friend of mine shot a buck that we were hunting with and Jason's just like, he's always that guy that's willing to just help everybody and then puts himself at the bottom of the list. He's, he's just one of those guys that is a great guy to hunt with. And he's not only really fun to hunt with, but he always loves to just help other people get their animals. And, and he always ends up doing pretty good, even though he, he sends it down to the wire. And actually, it's a fitting story because he's actually hunting blacktails right now with some other friends. So figure what a great great story to tell this week but it was just one of those weeks where it it was very tough very difficult hunting and we weren't seeing much it's the last day and so me and jay are like all right we're just going to give it our all we're going to go on a major mission we hiked up from the beach we're going to hike up to the alpine we're going to work this ridge the entire length of this ridge and just glass in all the spots that look good we get up there we're we're glassing we aren't seeing much Um, As we're halfway up the mountain, I look and I spot a doe and like a fawn in this little, there's like this, this ridge as we start to near the Alpine, these little tiny pine trees. And they cross from this like thick stuff, like almost like, um, I guess it'd be like alders and devil's club on this, uh, on the one face over into these like subalpine little firs or little short little Christmas tree looking things and disappear. Like, Ooh, deer up on that ridge. Let's go. They were does, we're hunting bucks, but hey, deer, that's maybe a good sign. So we bust through a ton of brush to get up there, just like really thick alders um, growing in that, I would say they're like 12 foot tall alders and baseball bat sizes. Like we were just battling to get up to this spot. We break through into the Alpine and we've just got this really great view. We're glassing. We don't actually see the same deer, but we work around the face, the wind's blowing up from the bottom so it's good wind and we're like okay you know it's midday is our last day the leaves have started to fall off this one like pocket and we're just looking at this pocket going okay deer we're in here this pocket looks incredible we've got a really good vantage we're just going to sit here in glass till we find a buck so we're sitting there glass and glass and glassing i've got the binoculars and i'm like we cannot turn up a deer so i just started thinking to myself i'm like just trying to picture it i'm just thinking to myself okay what am i going to look for everything i'm kind of looking and like the colors there's all the colors of the deer they don't have a lot i just start to think okay just look for something white maybe i'll get lucky and spot you know it's tail or whatever so i'm just thinking find something white find something white and i'm glassing i've got my binoculars out on top of i actually had my spotting scope and i set my binoculars on top of them so i'm glassing on the tripod and just thinking white 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 white. let's find something and all of a sudden my eye catches something Ooh, okay that looks good I go down, get the spotting scope on it, kind of lose it because it's just so much. I'm like looking through all this crap. It's just so many sticks and twigs and everything. And it's a ways off on the other side of the canyon. I look back through the binoculars and spot it again. 
like, Jay, the, okay, I think there's a deer here. Let's, and so get the spotting scope out. I start focusing, and there's all this stuff in the way in between me and this white spot. And so I'm rolling the focus and finally get it focused. I'm like, ooh, buck, big buck. There's this nice, what I'd call a three-point, three-by-three with eye guards, like past his years, just a solid 100-inch type black tail on a week that we hadn't been seeing very many black tails. So, like, this is the best buck of the trip. Last day of the hunt, heck yeah. And he's just bedded in this thicket kind of by himself. So we're like, dang. Okay, well, he's too far to shoot from here, and there's just, like, way too much stuff, and he's bedded. So we're like, okay, we're going to devise a plan because – we got to get this buck. Is a good buck. So we decide if he stands up, there's like a log right in front of him. Picture it almost like a, it would, it's on the side of a mountain, but it's just, it's kind of thick. There's alders. There's like this fallen log and he's kind of like in this real wet spot, kind of hiding out where maybe there's like some deadfall timber in this little open. And that's how we spotted him. And there's enough clearing above him. We just need him to stand, but he's very well hidden and you've got to get into the right position. So I think I ranged it where I was like mm, 700 yards away. So Jason's going to, we kind of picked a spot where we thought there's this intermediate ridge. Jason could get 300 yards and have a shot, but we're now racing against the clock because we're on a time crunch. It's the last day we spotted him in, in the kind of late afternoon and it's going to get dark. We still have to make our way back to camp because we were getting a boat ride out. So we need to get, we're kind of like racing against the clock to get to the boat, but also we've got this big buck and we're going to get him, but Jason has to get in position. So we make this plan. Jason's going to sneak in and I'm going to watch him. I'm going to give him hand signals if the buck gets up or does anything crazy. Cause if he moves in that and we're both stalking in, we'll never know where he went. So if he moves, I'm going to guide him into where the deer is gone. Now we have this contingency plan. I'm going to stay up on point and just watch the deer. And then I'm going to guide Jason in with hand signals. So the way we do our hand signals, I I like to take my hat off and point in the direction that the deer is going. If I'm close enough, I've got like, I'll turn my hat backwards or like wave my arms. If the deer's like gone, if it's blown, you know, wave my arms and I was going to move positions. So we have a couple different positions. So if the deer is still where it was, I'm going to be sitting right where I am. If the deer's up, I'll probably stand up. And then if it's like still bedded, you know, I'll be sitting there where I was. And then there was this other rock over to our side. So if I go to the rock, that means it's blown, it's over. And then I'll guide him in if the deer moves. So it's close enough where we can kind of see each other. So Jason creeps down. He has to lose sight of the buck to go around. He drops down. He pops up to the right spot. I kind of guide him to the spot that I thought he'd probably get a view. So he guides, he's glassing back at me. I'm glassing back at him. The buck's bedded. So Jason's set up. He's, I can see he's on the gun. I'm just watching the buck. Okay, nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. I'm kind of in line where I can see both of them at the same time. So Jason turns around. It's like getting late. I'm like, man, this deer is not going to stand up. So he looks at me and he kind of like taps his wrist. Like he's like, time's running out. And I'm like, I, I'm thinking, I know, I know. And then we've got this like buddy that has this, it's kind of a joke, but kind of serious. He calls it the warning shot. It came about on a coos deer hunt. We call it the Mike Marchese warning shot where somebody, you shoot to get the animal to stand up, then you can get a shot. So we're running out of time and I see Jason and he's looking at me and he's like giving me the like pointing at me and then like aiming and like shoot. And I'm thinking we were just, we were kind of joking because before he went down, I was like, hey, if the buck doesn't stand up in time, give him the old warning shot. 
so he's like pointing at me and like trigger. Okay, he wants me to try to get the buck to stand up. And I'm far enough away. I'm like, hmm, that's not a bad idea. There's a tree close by. I've got my rifle. I'm like, all right, we're going to try this. Because we're, we're almost, we're just cutting it close by the time we butcher it. Hike out of there, get back. You know, somebody's meeting us with a boat that night. Like, it's their last night. We're going out of there after this. We don't have any communication devices. So we really need to figure this out, get that deer, and, and hopefully make it back within a reasonable hour before you know, boat leaves. So I decide, all right, I'm going to do the warning shot from my position. And then hopefully that will get the deer to stand up. So I pick a tree that's near me in like a safe direction. I load up around, boom, fire right into the tree. Wham, the sound goes out. I look through the scope. I'm like, oh yeah, this is good. Nothing happened. Absolutely nothing happened. I'm like, all right, let's do it again. Boom, wham, hammer that close tree. Look back through the scope. Nothing happened. Jason's just ready. All right. One more. Boom. Wham. I see the buck kind of like shake his head, look up, and then just slowly stand up. Looking through the scope. Boom. One shot. Jason drops the buck. Buck down. And the patented warning shot in this particular instance paid off. It was a really crazy spot. Like the last day. And just a lucky, I would almost say a lucky spot, but just a spot where we were trying to use everything we could to find one last deer and turned out to be a great buck and his first blacktail deer. Last week, we started on part one talking about glassing and my four tenants of glassing were size, shape, color, and movement. We already covered size and shape. So just as a little bit of a recap, we kind of talked about understanding what you're looking at, the distances, and and how much time you need to spend, but also what's the size of the animal you're looking at compared to things that are already on that hill. And then shape, not just looking for the shape of the animal, but looking for certain shapes that identify that there's animals there or things that your eye picks up faster and lets your brain process. What we've been building out is kind of letting your brain be the computer of the glassing and letting your eyes do the looking. It'll save you time and it'll allow you to pick out things that a lot of other people don't pick out. You know, I mentioned last week about the gorilla on the stage and people not recognizing it. Now, I think color is one of those things that it's something that's easy to identify and think about. It's something easy to look for and it is often what gets animals spotted. But I think what the trouble is, is people just have it a idea of a color and then they end up missing a lot of other things when i talk about color what i do is i actually start thinking about what am i hunting and then what are the colors associated with that animal i know when i've think thought about times in the past spring bear guiding people that like think about black bears being only black tend to spot only black black bears there's been many times where i've been looking at a single hill had someone with me, I spot a bear, you know, whatever. Hey, there's a bear over there. Well, there's actually a couple bears over there. And they look and they, they immediately see the one that their brain was thinking of, the black, black bear. And yet, you know, there's two brown or cinnamon colored bears also on the same hill. And those just get glanced over like, oh, I didn't even, you know, didn't even recognize that because they had in their head, I'm looking for something that's black. The same goes for elk. You know, people think, oh, I'm looking for something brown or mule deer, that white butt. Everyone goes, oh, looking for that white butt. Well, they miss a lot of the deer that are 
broadside or facing them. And they only spot the deer that are facing away. What I like to do is I like to think of all the colors that are associated with that animal I'm hunting, plus one color that kind of is universal for all animals. So let's say we, we think elk. A couple of the colors that I, I like to think about as I'm glassing, I say, okay, look for this color. And that color would be that caramel, brown, white, and then black. That black of the bulls, the white of their blonde bodies, the caramel color of the cows, and then that brown of their neck. So I try to break down all those colors that I'm looking for. And by doing that, it kind of weeds out many of the colors that don't make sense. Green, some of the grays, some of the other things. And I start focusing on colors that make sense. So I can scan a little bit faster. And I've got this search parameter of mm, looking for colors that don't make sense. In the same way, it's kind of the reverse effect of that gorilla experiment where people didn't notice the gorilla, but they were focused on one thing. When you're focused on that one thing, you're very good at seeing that one thing. So what I try to do is I try to pick a few things that I know will stand out and focus on those and let those pop out at me. So uh, just a couple days ago, you know, off in the distance, I'm glassing. It's it's fairly kind of like overcast, dark forest, um, meadows and other things. And I just start scanning. I'm looking a long ways away, but I've got this mental picture of certain colors I'm looking for. Really, I'm looking for bull elk and that blonde body is a dead giveaway. It's the largest portion of them, glassing, glassing. Okay, and so my eyes are keying in on those things. White rock, get the spotter out. Nope, that's a white rock. Keep glassing, hmm, that same color. Spotter out, boom, two bulls right there. In a matter of minutes, instead of taking a lot of time to really analyze every little piece going slow, I can throw up my binoculars. I can do a quick preview, an overview of the area. Just running those those color scenarios in my head thinking, find this color, find this color, find these colors. And then I do a quick initial glass on those colors and generally I turn it out. Now let's talk about another animal, say mule deer. What are some of the colors? Gray, white, um, brown, black. Uh, the, the bucks get that black back. They get that black tail. They get that white. So I start running those colors through. And you'll, you'll notice you'll start picking out the things that are those colors. What I also do is I, I try to weed out certain colors depending on what's on. If there's snow on the ground, I don't want to look for the white. I start to think, look for gray, look for blacks. As, as things get lighter, the color of those animals kind of changes based on You've got a more monochromatic view. You've got snow and everything looks white, but also everything looks dark. So now I'm looking more for the grays and the browns. And I also start to think, think orange if I'm looking for mule deer in the snow because their antlers look a lot more orange. Their coat starts to look a lot more orange. You start to pick those orange colors out a lot faster, even over distances. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. 
The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Now I'd say for a lot of animals also, understanding that as you get further away, you know, the environment and contrast, but think about light and dark contrast. If everything around is dark, I look for the things that are light. If everything around is light, I look for the things that are dark. If I'm glassing a big, lots of open, big grassy meadows, maybe that gray sage, I'm going to, it's like a light background. Now I'm going to start looking for the shadows of the animal or the, not necessarily the shadows of the animal, but the way the animal looks shadowed in what it's at. Think about seeing a, you know, you, you talk about camouflage and you've got a person up close, the camo blends in and then they go a mile away and they just look like this human object that's really dark walking around. Same goes for animals. Yes, their coats blend in, but also, you know, getting your mind to picture the differences and contrasts, the lights and the darks. If I'm glass, like I said, if I'm glassing big open grassy meadows for elk, everything's light. Everything's that kind of elk color. So now I just start to think dark, that dark brown, that dark, that black, maybe that's around the back end of a bull or that like mane of a bull. So I start to think dark and you start picking out those pieces. If everything around is dark, maybe it's a more forested area, maybe more, I don't know, like a little bit more brush and other things. Then I start to think light, start to think out, okay, pick out the whites of the bodies and, and, and start to kind of narrow in what I'm looking for or the, the white off the mule deer as opposed to the gray in the lot of sage or maybe some more of those brown colors and combine that with the size, the shape. And then as we go into it, movement. Movement is the first thing that most people look for, but movement is honestly the easiest way to spot animals. I would say most animals that get spotted are based on movement, their movement, looking at something that everything should be still and something moves through it that catches your eye, allows you to focus in. One thing I like to do, whether I'm quick glassing or just previewing an area 
when I sit down in glass, I like to think of looking for that movement. And how I do that is I, I generally want to find movement based on a wide view. That means getting using my binoculars more than my spotting scope. It would be looking at the mountain or the hill in this really wide view and this kind of more panoramic and just letting my eye stare at the picture and then catch movement in between. There's many times where the movement might just be the tree swaying back and forth, but you're keying in on the movement. When you add movement into your search parameters, you start to pick up a lot of other things that aren't just what you're looking for. It's crazy because you'll be looking out there and you'll be like, huh, there's a magpie. I just spotted a magpie from a mile, two miles, five miles away. You're like, whoa, okay, because you caught the movement, your eye was drawn to it. And now you can also use those other things that you see moving to go back to your size, reference your shape, and, and just test the fact that you're actually seeing what you're looking for. Movement is one of the best ways to verify that something is what you think it is. You know, you you these other search parameters go off. You focus in on something that looks like it might be a deer, and then you watch it, you stare at it, and you see if it moves. That's like the tried and true test of, is that what I'm looking for? How does it move? Is it moving? Many times what I'll do is I'll go between not only glassing, but also using, when I talk about movement, using my naked eye or without glass. So I'll do a lot of glassing through the binoculars, through the optics in that wide view, then zooming it out, sitting there and just staring at the hill and just looking for things that move, things that look different, things that change, not necessarily trying to look for the animal, but just looking for things that are moving. In that really wide view, you'll be surprised that you start to catch movements of different things and you start to notice a lot more. So things that you might not notice ahead of time when you're looking for an animal, you go to this really wide view and you just stare and you go, oh, there's movement. Then you throw your binoculars up. Hmm. Oh, it turns out to be a deer. It turns out to be this. It turns out to be that. If you've got decent vision, it's a really good way to kind of back that view. Like I like to back the view in and out. So I'll go from really wide eyes to binoculars, back to eyes, to maybe spotting scope at a distance, to binoculars at a distance. And what I'm doing is I'm just looking and observing and waiting for that movement because there might be, especially in times of morning and evening when you're expecting movement, but even in the middle of the day when you aren't expecting movement could be the best time to really hone in. One caveat to movement is what about those times of day when there isn't any movement? Like middle of the day, heat of the day, how do you find animals when it's a really good area, you know there should be something here, but they're probably bedded up. What I do in that scenario is I go more zoomed in and try to catch little movements. There's so many times that the deer that I've spotted were bedded deer in the shade and I caught the flick of an ear. There's always something moving, the flick of a tail, the step of a leg, zoomed in on those bedding areas trying to look for small movements, not necessarily large movements. Now you might get a little wind and branches are moving, but at least you know you're, you're keying in on things that are moving. So you, you're using your brain to kind of go from this, just looking for the animal to looking for pieces of the animal, shapes of the animal, colors of the animal, and then certain movements that will trigger you into spotting more animals. If you think of it broken down into those pieces and then start giving your brain cues to look for all these things at once, I guarantee you, you're going to start spotting a lot more animals a lot faster with a lot less effort than most of the other people looking. You're going to find things that other people don't notice and it's just going to come natural. At some point, it's going to be something where you just throw up the binocular and, oh, there's this, there's that. 
and it might just be a piece of it that you saw, but something in your brain triggered the effect that, okay, now I got to look a little closer there. Focus in, focus in. Yes, that's what I'm looking for. And that really is the essence of you know where to look. You found the good spot. How do you find what you're looking for? Well, fairly quickly, fairly easily, or knowing that you didn't miss anything. And honestly, I think that's the best way to do it is having those kind of search parameters by using, by utilizing and understanding the size reference of how things are, looking for different shapes, understanding that you can turn on and off this thought of color to help you eliminate a lot of the things that don't matter and bring in some of the things that do. And then using this difference in zoom where you're looking wide and then moving wider, checking for movement. By combining all those things, you will be way, way, way more proficient. Well, that concludes our glassing strategy, our two-part glassing what to look for. I think if you can put all those things into practice, as I said last week, you know, understanding all those things and the way that they work together, what you're doing is you're, you're letting your eyes do the looking and your mind doing the sorting. And you can turn those filters and those layers on and off. If you think about your eyes are just the window to your brain processing everything and you say, okay, now I'm going to pick those colors. I'm going to boom, throw those search parameters out there and do that fast. And then you're, you're also constantly looking for that shape and that size and understanding and trying to catch that movement by doing all that all the time. There's going to be very little that you don't catch. You can be the guy there. There are people that are really good at it. And hopefully I know there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are these people that not very much gets by you, not much gets spotted before you. And they probably, if they really thought about it, have this similar process going. When I talk to other people that I know that I, I say, these guys are good at picking out animals. These guys are good glassers. They're good at spotting game. These are some of the things that it's hard to verbalize, but it's actions that happen that we might not even realize. So I think it's something that when you go out there and you you put um, a label on it and you say, this is how you do it, and you start to pay attention to it and you start to hone that skill and you start to get better. I think it's just something fun because when you've, you've got limited, maybe you've got limited time, you're, you're going to go out on the weekend and hunt and you've got a good spot. You're looking at the right times in the right areas. You want to be able to find what you're looking for. One of the main complaints or like I think struggles I get from people is them saying, how do I know that I've seen everything? I don't know if I'm looking in the right areas. Did I, what did I miss? And, you know, building this out, being better at picking out the things that are there. Yes, you will probably still miss stuff. But you can train your brain to help you find what you're looking for by understanding, you know, those four basic things, the size reference, the shape, choosing the colors, and then looking for movement. And you're going to be a lot more successful in the field. So as always, thank you guys for listening. I think you appreciate the support and all the great messages of uh, success that have come in. If you get a chance, you like the podcast, feel free to just share it with your friends, uh, family, coworkers, hunting buddies. Make them as good outdoors as you are. And then you just have be unstoppable. It'll just be meat filled freezers for life. And that's the whole goal here, right? So keep filling those freezers. I will catch you all next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. 
Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to Land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins.